After meeting and marrying her hero, Audrey Mest became a champion freediver in her own right. But one stormy day in October, it all came to a tragic end. When the waves settled, some were suspicious of her husband, and one filmmaker took those suspicions to the extreme. This week's episode is The Tragic Death of Audrey Mest, Part 2. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Well, what a lovely response we had from part one. Everybody was either had heard of the story and wanted to know more or had never heard of it at all. And we're excited to get into the wild world of no limits freediving. It's a wild sport. That <sighs> is for sure. Not one that interests me or that um, I think I'd be good at because I'm not. No. I don't like to hold my breath for long periods of time. No, I think we established way back in episode 13 that we aren't going to dive even with, I'm not going to dive even with equipment on, Mm-mm. much less with no equipment. Another thing from episode 13 <laughs> everyone's been bringing up recently. Yeah, it didn't, age, didn't age well. <laughs> I will say it aged fine because in it, I said, I refuse to go diving unless it's in one of those little submarines down to see the Titanic. Now, I understand, given what we've all heard in the news, that that seems like a, a dopey thing to say. But you and I have watched Expedition Deep Ocean. And, and we've Victor seen Vitruvo. Vis- Vescovo. Ves- God, you know what? Dallas? I've given up on trying to remember people's names. Howie D. <laughs> Plunko. The whole Plunko debacle. Plunko. I don't know what I'm talking about uh, anymore. Dallas native Victor Vescovo <laughs> is a multi-millionaire or just a millionaire. We're not sure. Either <laughs> way. Uh, this endeavor is... Uh, knocked him down to just millionaire because he built a $35 million submarine to go down. And it's very impressive. And it worked. It went to the five deepest depths in all of the ocean. So, I mean, he's going down 36,000 feet. So if I was with Victor Viscovo, I would do. I'm in. I'm in if it's me and Victor on the sub. But I would never. Stockton Rush, I would never. Especially, God, given even... I think just yesterday, even more information came out of a the former director of marine operations had written a full scale report of like, here are 30 things that are wrong with, you know, it was just like Mm. this and this and this. And he was fired. And he was told, well, if you can't sign off on the sub, you can't do your job. He's like, my job wasn't to sign off. It was to analyze. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what um, the man that he and his son were going to go and pulled out said is when he met with him that Stockton Rush was not interested in hearing Anything that differed from his opinion of how safe the sub was or and fine, uh, you know, physics, which isn't something many of us argue with because, you know, it's proven and whatnot. But he was like, physics be damned. And luckily that man, his son actually was like, this is not a good idea. This is not safe. And they backed out. And that that was the spot that the um, other father and his 19 year old took. Mm-hmm. So and it's, yeah, it's sad tragic. when you you see like this can be done safely. This can be done. James Cameron's been down to the Titanic a million times, three times. When he said, "I've actually calculated it, and I've spent more time on the Titanic than the actual captain of the Titanic," I was like, "Well, that's not a really fair comparison because one of you is a submarine." <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of you only went on the Titanic. One time, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, that was it. it was an interesting calculation. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you can't say, oh, all small submersibles are extremely dangerous. It's just those who do not undergo rigorous due diligence are extremely dangerous. And if you're interested in any submersible stuff, I, at least, and I'm sure you and Tommy would all recommend Expedition Deep Ocean on uh, Discovery. Yeah, it was for so sure. interesting. It's very interesting. And also, there is a scene in the first episode <laughs> that you're going to rewatch just 20 times in a row and not get tired of it. And when you see it, you'll know what we're talking about. I'm not going to spoil anything. You got to watch it. You'll know. You'll know. It's pretty quick. It's about 15 or 20 minutes into the first episode because we binged it all. And we're like, (laughs) let's go back to episode one to that moment. It was so good. So uh, please enjoy. But yeah, that's uh, that's coming back to haunt us from episode 13, saying that the only way I would go underwater would be in a tiny sub. Uh, Well, we have to put a little asterisk and say, but only with Victor Vescovo. Yes, exactly. A fellow Dallasite, Victor Vescovo. Maybe we can meet him. He's from here. Ooh, he's a neighborhood yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, he's probably just out and about. I mean, we are not going to miss that ponytail. So I feel like he'd be easy to spot. We would see him absolutely. Well, do you think he's coming to one of our upcoming live shows in the next few weeks? I mean, as a multimillionaire, he could come to Boston on July 19th, Brooklyn on July 20th, or Washington, D.C. on July 22nd, or all three. So let's put him on the list. We'll put Victor Vescovo on the list at all three places. And if he comes, he comes. Plus one, he gets to bring someone. Yeah, sure. We're recording this on the 4th of July, and I feel like Boston and D.C. are very patriotic places. So, you know, and then we got Brooklyn in the middle, which is also hip and cool. But yeah, they're, uh, I'm excited. I've never been to Brooklyn, so I'm excited about that. I've been to New York, but never went to Brooklyn, so I'm very pumped. Time. And I have been given a very good um, seafood recommendation for Boston. Oh, our, better than the Bostonia pub or wherever we went for our uh, lobster No, rolls? we'll just go there. Because honestly, <laughs> I said that and then I immediately forgot what it was. So <laughs> we'll go to the Bostonia. We'll go there. Well, last time I was in Brooklyn, I saw the Lonely Island in concert and Mike Birbiglia made a surprise appearance. Oh, we, nice. We have told Patrick Hines that we're in Brooklyn and he said he's coming. Yeah. So we'll see if we can get Birbiglia to come by too. <laughs> Does he live there? Put him, Yeah, we'll put him on the list. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we've got Patrick Hines, Victor Vescovo, Mike Birbiglia. Yes. I'm going to add Jay-Z and Beyonce. Just in case. Just She's in also case. from Texas. See, she'll... But she'll they come. also have a house in, in Brooklyn, so... And he owns the Nets, right? Part, part owner or was go. it part he's owner? He's around. So, yeah. I feel like they're always around somewhere. <laughs> We just assume the billionaires are just hanging in the neighborhood. But yeah. you know what? Maybe they are. Also, Jack Antonoff lives in Brooklyn. So maybe we'll put he can bring. Too. I'm going to put bleachers, Taylor. just the whole band, and <laughs> then they can decide who wants to come. Every venue we go to, they're like, this list is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just in case, it would be awkward. don't even make sense together. And we're like, they do. They all live here. And in we were hood. fans of all of them. It's in the Sinisterhood universe. <laughs> Can you imagine what Jay-Z, Beyonce, and Victor Vescovo would talk about? It would be fantastic. Oh, man. And then you throw Jack Antonoff in there and Mike Mm-mm. Birbiglia. I would be like, I'm sorry, audience. We need to go sit at this table and just, you can listen in for the <laughs> next hour, perform. 45 minutes while we talk to this table. That's what we're doing. Well, go to Sinisterhood.com slash live shows if you want to join the table. At any of those locations, yeah. Boston, Brooklyn, or D.C. And we've got a couple more dates in August, and then that will be it for the 2023. So, yeah. 
So come on out. It's been a blast and it's going to continue to be a blast, pun intended, because it's the full moon energy tour. Blasting off. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, today we are going to be discussing part two of the tragic death of Audrey Mest. This is one that uh, if you've watched the Netflix film since we last talked, one, you probably got real horny. Two, <laughs> you uh, will understand when we get to the second half of this kind of all these lawsuits that are coming out now. Mm -hmm. You can't just go out and say stuff about people. Turns out they get mad and then they'll sue you. Right. And then I'm excited to talk about the lawsuit part because it's a very interesting claim. False light. It's uh, not one you see as often as defamation. So we'll get into it. Very interesting. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. It had been eight minutes and 38 seconds since world record holding freediver Audrey Mest had taken her last breath. Her husband, Pepin Ferraris, also an accomplished freediver, grabbed his tank and scuba suit which, according to his book, he had prepared himself and set out on the boat. He dove in and found Audrey at 90 meters down, past the first of only two safety divers, far fewer than the 16 divers that had assisted in the current record far fewer than the 16 divers that had assisted in the current record holders dive. Papin wrote in his book, "Something had happened in that no man's land between Pascal and Wiki, and I had no idea what it was." Safety divers Wiki and Pascal were forced to stay beneath the waves while their friend struggled up above. Wiki later said in an interview with ESPN filmmakers, What happened on the surface was a monstrosity. Indeed, spectators and the crew were horrified to see Audrey floating on her back in the water. Papine spent a full extra 60 seconds trying to revive Audrey while still in the water. No real doctor was on board. Only a dentist who had no idea how to address a still-breathing, but likely brain-dead Audrey, who was taking intermittent breaths on board. Papine wrote in his book that her eyes were open, though her pupils were fixed and dilated, unresponsive to light. And the footage of Papine saving Audrey was captured by two divers, one at 30 meters and one at 60 meters who had been told by Pepin, don't, we don't want you as a safety diver. We want you filming at these specific depths. Which was and unnecessary because they had already filmed it during the practice dive. So they yeah. didn't need to film it. What they needed was to be there to assist her if she needed help. Right. You needed more hands on deck to save it. But in that footage, when he's pulling her up, when he gets her at 90 meters and he starts pulling her up, Experts have looked at that footage and said that is not the way that you save somebody from that depth. And the way that he held her, whether negligence, uh, he's in the moment, he's freaked out, he doesn't know, training, you know, for whatever reason we can ascribe to it, he holds her in a, in a way that m almost maximizes the amount of water that gets in her lungs. Yeah. The it motion of her neck and throat and the way he pulled her, her lungs were full of water. The uh, footage of this, if you do watch the no limit documentary on YouTube. It is pretty, uh, it's upsetting. I mean, it's shows the entire thing. And while she is, I think they even say in it, like she has a pulse, she's breathing. She had been without oxygen for so long that at that point, if there was brain activity or not, we'll never really know, but most likely there wasn't. Yeah, and that's what Carlos Sarah, who was co-owned Pepin's company and was there and is in all the photos and the videos, he said he just noticed that 
that foam and he said that you kind of know when the pink foam comes out and he said she was still breathing but my heart was already broken because you you just are like you You know know the natural into it five minutes after pulling audrey aboard the crew reached shore however there was no board or stretcher prepared in advance to carry audrey from the boat to where she needed to receive medical attention instead they loaded her limp body onto a beach chair and ran with her through the sand this is very chaotic and yeah. very ill-prepared. One, the fact that there was no doctor on board. What is a dentist going to do? That, no. Pointless. And when you see it in juxtaposition to Tanya Streeter's world record dive, when they show you just this huge, like like a giant cooler almost just stacked with... These are the drugs we need if somebody's heart stops. This is all, I mean, they have a million things that can help. And then at least one doctor, perhaps two. So they were very prepared. This was a three ring circus. And then I imagine in the time it takes you to go to shore, you would have called ahead and said, this is what we've got going on. But when they get to shore, it's as if no one really knows what, was it to be expected? And they're just grabbing like folding beach chairs and it's putting like her body lounge. on it. And yeah. yeah, like chaise lounges and trying to keep her on it while running through sand, just like to get medical attention. It was, it was all very chaotic and didn't seem well thought out. Yeah, you're right. Especially you would imagine much like with, like you said, the Tanya Streeters, they had pre-planned okay this is a medical person on shore waiting to receive you mm-hmm. rather than you have to get to shore drag them somewhere then call someone it's we have a team in place that that's their job is we're on shore medical and as well as on the boat we're on boat medical and it's just failure after failure after failure that you see with audrey and especially like a, a sport like this every second counts when it's yes a matter it's literally a matter of life or death how much oxygen you've been without for however long so yeah having someone on the on the boat could have potentially saved her life or at least gotten her stable to get to shore. And then again at shore, but nothing had been planned, which begs the question. Why? Yeah. Was it hubris? Was it intentional malice? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. Sinisterhood. will be right back at the hotel. The on-site doctor and nurse tried to assist while an ambulance was en route. In the meantime, Audrey's heart stopped and chest compressions were continued. It took a half an hour for Audrey to reach a hospital in La Romana. By then, it had been an hour since her last breath above the ocean's surface. Doctors tried using paddles on her, but it was futile, and she was pronounced dead. In the post-accident debrief, members of the team discussed what happened. Kim McCoy, the oceanographer and owner of Ocean Instruments, who had been in charge of the technological data on the dive, reported that the equipment sensors showed the time Audrey was stuck at the bottom, 17 seconds. Pascal told the crew, She didn't ask for air. She appeared calm. We've always had the same agreement. Audrey would ask to breathe from a regulator only as a last resort. She didn't want to take that risk. Yeah, apparently with this type of diving, if you are down at that depth and you do take from the regulator, there's a good chance that your lungs fill with water or something else and you essentially drown. 
Yeah, the problem is when you've done that blood shift, which is actually what she wrote her thesis on, the Mm -hmm. idea that you're able to dissipate the oxygen throughout your body, that if you that causes you to have plasma in your lungs, which when you get up and you reacclimate to the surface, you can handle. But when you're down below and you have that plasma in your lungs, if you take compressed air in, it could cause a spasmodic cough. Like we don't mean to, but you cough. And when you cough, you go, <gasps> you know, you suck air back in. So it is like a last resort. And also because she was diving to a depth no one has ever do- dove to before, they don't know that even if you could do a compressed air, maybe at 90 meters or 80 meters or 120 could she do it at 171 Mm -hmm. so even though it was there it might be it might hasten your death almost yeah according to kim's gauge audrey made it up to 120 meters but began to drop back down kim speculated this is where audrey lost consciousness and let go of the lift bag after holding her breath for four solid minutes According to Papine's book, the exact place Audrey lost consciousness was where their now-deceased teammate, Cedric, should have been. Papine wrote, But we had decided not to put another safety diver in his place. And why? That's the million-dollar question. Yeah, it's another question of the exact spot that you needed a person is the exact spot that she needed. a per- Like That's what needed to happen is have a person at 120. And that's what the gauges don't lie. I mean, Kim McCoy's stuff is down to like the depth they're at, the altitude, how many beats a minute their heart's going. I mean, it's everything. So he's like can pretty quickly track it to this spot where you failed to have someone to help her is where she needed help the most. And the fact that they could track it to that goes to show just how much thought and planning is put into this sport that people over the years have tracked. Like, this is where you need someone to make sure that everybody's safe. Almost like if you follow the rules that are put in place to help you, they will help you. Yeah, and not say, I know better than science Mm -hmm. and the rules. Because she was not breathing by that time, Pascal could not put the regulator into her mouth. Pascal took her to 90 meters, but stopped himself due to safety concerns, including his wife and daughter waiting for him at home. And some initial anger came, I think, ignorantly against Pascal of like, well, why didn't he give it to her at the bottom? And why did he can't hold her down and shove it into her mouth? So she, uh, you know, started ascending, albeit very slowly. He can't necessarily chase her down, you know, swim up, chase her down and shove it in her mouth. So when he was trying to ascend to catch up with her to keep his own lungs safe and then he caught up with her by that time, if her she's not moving, she can't autonomously do anything Mm -hmm. herself. Again, you might make it worse forcing her mouth open. Yeah. I mean, water's just going to get in if she's not conscious to take a breath. Mm -mm. You know, I mean, it's not like on land where you're doing chest compressions and manually breathing into her mouth where you have more control over it, you're already at a disadvantage because you're underwater. All that pressure. Mm-hmm. The next morning, Pepin and Carlos drove Audrey's body from the hospital to the morgue. They were then questioned by police at the local precinct about whether Audrey had depression or thoughts of self-harm, according to Pepin's book. The men were also asked whether anyone wanted to hurt her, but they answered no on all counts. Audrey's death was the third time someone had died during a dive organized by Pepin. According to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, Massimo Bertoni and Pepe Fernandez both died while serving as safety divers on Pepin's dive trips. In both cases, Pepin told the Sun Sentinel that he does not know exactly why they died. The autopsy report showed the men died from drowning. Pepin tried distancing himself in the interview, blaming a scorpion bite from days earlier for killing Pepe. 
though he admitted to the Sun Sentinel. Doctor said he drowned too. I'm not a doctor. And yeah, when you lose anybody, a member of the team, you don't just say, well, we really don't know what happened. Let's just keep doing things the way we have been. No, I think that's where you take uh, some time off to reassess stuff and check everything, get new equipment, get another expert out there to do a once over. I mean, the first time Audrey dove with them, she saw a team member die. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then it's not a good look to try and blame it on something else and try to skirt the blame with a scorpion bite and whatnot. If you're admitting in the same breath, I'm not a doctor, then just shut up. Yeah, I think you're not a doctor. (laughs) You said all you need to say. Mm -hmm. But I think he was under pressure to start to distance himself from these team members that died because, you know, not too long after the word started getting out of, well, he must have done something. Well, whether through negligence or was it something much, much worse? Just over a month after Audrey's death, Papine declined to address murder allegations. He also pushed for the end of any investigation, saying, What happened, you don't have to be a genius to understand it, was some technical problems. Saying a further investigation, It won't help anybody. He also blamed himself, according to the Sun Sentinel, reasoning it was, Because I taught her how to free dive. But he also added that it, It's her fault, too, because she fell in love with free diving. This man is all over the place. And I think you need a lesson on how to take accountability and apologize properly because none of these things are it. The only thing missing is a ukulele here as far as non-apologies go. Yeah. This is uh, just to go, can we just forget about it? Can we just, you have to understand, yes, she was your wife, but I, given some of the reports of teammates, You don't have total control over her or her legacy or her story. And to say, everybody just leave it alone. It's not going to do anything. You have friends in the industry, teammates, her family, extended family, people she met, people who are inspired by her story, that she's a public figure. She was part of everyone's hearts. And to say, just forget about it. And and also, anyway, it was her fault. It's like, there are consequences for what you're saying. (laughs) And even if they had the best relationship on the planet, it's still not his place to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, her family, and like you said, but also just her, you know, I mean, the victim in this, you shouldn't have to like argue why something should be investigated. I mean, the sport of free diving in general could benefit from knowing this. It's the same reason they're going down to the bottom and getting the Titan pieces up and everything. Are they going to find anyone Reports have said they have found some stuff, but not intact. But you get the the pieces of what is left to try and analyze it so something like that doesn't happen again. That's a good point, too. Beyond even the sentimental part, there's a valid safety, public policy, helpful thing that mm-hmm. could come from. So to say a further investigation won't help anybody is patently false. The only person it won't help is Papine because of more stuff that could come out. Yeah, I imagine. And to say, well, it's her fault, too, because she fell in love with free diving. Well, after you just said, because I taught her how, but also talk about victim blaming. Well, it's her fault because she fell in love with the sport. That's nothing that a mourning husband should say. No. And the fan, you know, the friends who said 
she would say, okay, we got another record. Are you finally happy? Are you happy now? So to make it sound like, well, at all costs, she wanted to die for her sport. Like, I don't know that, I don't think she did. I think she was doing it to appease him. And she really just wanted to swim and be free and not worry about records and competition. Right. And pushing yourself to the literal limit. On the International Association of Freedivers website, or IAFD, Papine released a statement in the weeks following Audrey's death that read, After some deliberation, Audrey's parents and I have decided not to disclose any information whatsoever about Audrey's accident and its causes. This will only increase the morbidity of the enemies that both Audrey and I have. I'm sure this would also have been Audrey's will, and as such, I would ask that everyone respect our decision. As a reminder to everyone listening, IAFD is the uh, organization Pepin made up for himself to give himself uh, awards. And I would also like to point out that when you Google IAFD, and if you Google IAFD, this isn't going to be the first hit you get. Instead, the Internet Adult Film Database will come up. And uh, so that's fun. I don't think he... (laughs) realized first like is this acronym taken or maybe he did and he was like this is how we get new people interested in the sport (laughs) this is how we did it i think his problem is he created ifd and then later on it kind of went defunct and they didn't still use the acronym and when the acronym's up for grabs people will grab it and the internet and internet adult film database grabbed it as did the international association of foundation drilling which i can't be sure but may be associated with the adult film database <laughs> maybe maybe a uh offshoot of the of the first one just tied in a little bit i hate though that he even in yeah. her death is Exerting. acting as if he's her owner like she's just property and that he's making these decisions and you know and also lumping him in again as a victim we both have enemies i don't think she had any enemies by all accounts everyone loved her she was beloved by the crew her poor parents that were also both scuba divers like watching them in the documentary just clutch her urn while Mm. when they're out in the ocean and he spreads her ashes and everything it's heartbreaking and they are Team Papine. They, you know, yes. and so I'm, we have to respect that. I still question what all have they been told or not told that led them to that decision. Yeah, and, you know, it's everybody's right to believe whatever they want to believe or say we have so little left of our daughter. This man took the last 10 years of her life and all we have of her left is everything he has. Photos, memories, stories. And if you're going to cut that person off, you're losing your kid twice, really. Yeah, Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, I to lose your child is beyond comprehensible. And if it makes their pain a little easier to think like this was an accident and you know uh he loved her then by all means i like i said i'm not here to judge or blame them at all like and the and their her parents are very welcome to believe that i do think you're right though and and that we're all sort of as a society who wants to support these type of sports are entitled to an explanation of what happened mm-hmm. in a preventative kind of a situation of like, well, you know, you should, it's not really anybody's business. It's like, well, it's a lot of people's business is people that were there, the divers that were there. It's could be their professional reputation. Their lives are destroyed if that's how they make their livelihood. Trauma. Things like that. Yeah. Everyone plus the trauma. that was there that day 
was traumatized by this as anyone would be. I mean, your, your friend just drowned in front of you, but also, yeah, for the entire sports world in, in free diving, they deserve answers. Again, this was with his ramshackle organization that wasn't, didn't have the same oversight as Ada. So Mm -hmm. he didn't have to answer to anybody. And that's the problem. Same with Stockton Rush. Yeah, whenever you say, well, I'll just make my own organization. Yeah, just as a little PSA, probably if somebody says that, you go to the other way. Go to the other organization. <laughs> the one that has oversight and laws and regulations that are put in place to keep people safe. Right. I'm not I'm here to uh, about overregulation whatsoever, but I do think, uh, you know, some licensure, some checking into stuff. You know, my buddy does dental work up the street, but it's in his alleyway, and I wouldn't I don't think that should be allowed. No. You know, it's no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> if you said now he's got a place, it's up the street and he's got a license. He went to school. Then he should be able to take people to life and death. Like you're putting people out. You're putting them down. Like in this case, you are taking someone into the middle of the ocean and dropping them hundreds of feet down. I think in order to do that, there needs to be some oversight and regulations. But and maybe I'm just a dork. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it makes me especially sad for her because I don't think she wanted to be there, especially this day. I mean, the footage is just like (laughs) the weather. Not one part of her looked excited to do this and to go into this already feeling that way and nervous, like, because you do know, yeah, I'm married to this guy. But like you said, we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no laws out here. There's no one overseeing this. And if something goes sideways, that's it. Yeah. Or if even if there are laws, there might not be a lot of investigation. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. Even amongst the allegations of malice and murder, others were calling for safety reforms. In his definitive article on the incident, Gary Smith wrote in Sports Illustrated about the chorus of questions. Why hadn't she worn an inflatable wetsuit? Well, it seemed Pepin did not trust them, according to Sports Illustrated. Why hadn't there been more divers? Papine didn't want to risk losing anymore, according to Smith's article. In the wake of Audrey's death, Papine lost weight and became depressed. He also turned away from his earlier Santeria practices, which included summoning strength and help from the ocean god Olakun. After her passing, Sports Illustrated reported that Papine threw all the items from his shrine deep into the ocean and instead began asking Audrey for guidance. And that was a big part of his kind of preparation for dives and stuff as he had like altars. And that was how he sort of praised it. And the kind of an ending image of Gary Smith's article was that he drove a boat way out and he said, you know, the depth was 10,000 feet. And I just threw everything in there because she's my guiding star now. Well, don't throw your shit in the ocean for yeah, one. I was like, well, now Victor Vescovo is <laughs> going to be down there and find it, which is so sad when he's in the fucking Puerto Rico trench and is like, well, that's a Coke can. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's 26,000 feet down. So we don't want to find all your stuff. Les Stroud, the uh, survivalist that I don't know if he still has a show on. I think it was Discovery Plus, but kind of like Bear Grylls, you know, goes out and just is by himself surviving in the wilderness. Every single time he would find trash from humans. And he said, it doesn't matter where I go, how remote it is. There's always evidence of humans there, evidence of trash. And it really bummed about and he would always clean it up. But it's, yeah, you're down at one of the deepest parts in the ocean and there's a Coke can down there. 
sick man it's sad it we is. took the girls my nieces to see fireworks last night and the oldest the eight-year-old goes we walked by a little creek and there was like toilet paper like the plastic on the outside of a large container of toilet paper and she was like even the creek is polluted mm-hmm. and i said isn't that sad what do you think should happen she said well we should all do our part and people should pick up after themselves i was like well at least the kids know the rules yeah and hopefully those are the ones that are going to be making the rules come a few years. She's going to be a Supreme Court justice. She's already decided. <laughs> Kim McCoy submitted a report to Pepin's organization, IAFD, on what happened to Audrey. In turn, Carlos, Sarah, and IAFD conducted an investigation and made a report of the findings. According to court records, IAFD identified six factors that led to Audrey's death. One, a new thinner diameter cable and a smaller weight at the bottom caused the cable to move sideways in the current. And this problem it was that they thought it would be less friction on her going down. So she'd be able to go down and up faster, which means it's less time you have to hold your breath. But it also means that you're actually, when you go up, it, it becomes slower if you drift in the current because you're now going up at an angle, which I didn't yeah. even think about. Mm-hmm. Two. Stormy weather on the day of the dive caused additional movement in the cable. And it was very stormy from the footage. They almost even canceled it. And Pepin said, I had already decided we weren't going to cancel it. Which great. (laughs) You've got the person in charge. It's like, I don't care what happens. This is happening. Then what do you do? That's exactly right. And actually, uh, I think it's important to note that for this dive, which was unusual, he made his business partner, Carlos Sarah, the event coordinator, which Pepin was always the event coordinator. And Carlos said the night before was like, you want really want me to do it? And he's like, yes, it's important that you are the one in charge. And then Carlos said any decision I would try to make. Pepin was like, no, do it this way instead. So then who's really in charge if you can't make autonomous decisions without Pepin? So nominally, Carlos Serra appeared to be in charge. And we figure out very quickly he was not the one saying, because if Carlos was like, I would have been like, no, we'll do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The storm's crazy. The line's moving. But Pepin was like, onward. Now, it would make sense that you would appoint someone that if you wanted somebody else to take the blame for stuff that you knew was going to happen. Especially if several years later, you're like, well, I think whoever was the event coordinator is actually the one to blame. And you're the person who appointed the event coordinator and then also still did the job. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Three, Teflon brushing installed on the cable was damaged during training and may have caused the sled to stop. And that's, again, they're trying to reduce the friction, but the that brushing had a nick in it from a training dive. And so the sled goes down past it, fine. But when it's supposed to go back up, it's like, Ka-doo! yeah. And I mean, it stops it's like trying momentum. to get a zipper to come up yes. when it's got a little kink in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four, the bottom weight was made of concrete rather than the usual lead, which caused additional sideways drift of the cable. And it's, I don't know if they use concrete thinking it was going to be cheaper, faster, easier to transport or whatever. But when you see things, and this is, I think it's important to note in the uh, a legal complaint filed by Pepin on his behalf. So admitting that usually we use lead, but in this case, we chose concrete. I mean, I think there's a lot of industry standard is this, we did below. Industry standard here, we went a few notches below. And repeatedly. isn't it interesting that it was all on this dive? Yes. And we it's decided just to change up everything we've done that has worked for us up until now. We're going to change six major things on a very important dive going deeper than we ever have. 
When there was no like Tanya Schreeder is going to dive the next day. So you have to do right. it now or it's the Olympics. It's literally a thing that you decide the date and time. The de- ocean's suck? always there. So yeah, the journalists will come back. Mm-hmm. The journalists will come back. <laughs> yeah. Five wings on a camera exerted a lateral force delaying ascent. Six. And finally, the lift bag did not inflate upon inspection after the accident. The bag showed a section of wear that could have been the cause of some leaking, but the amount of air that would have leaked out was not enough to have significantly affected the performance of the sled. The air tank showed no signs of damage or leaking. The sixth point was interesting, given Papin's insistence that he was the one who checked the bag. In his book, he wrote that before Audrey's last dive, I carefully examined the lift bag and found no rips or tears. And... In the blast part, which is also in his book, he says repeatedly, I am the one that checked the tank. I checked the tank. I did it. So Kim McCoy and then giving his information to Carlos Sarah, who has the very awkward uh, position of having to write a report about your co-worker or your co-owner's negligence yeah. or behavior that led to this. That he wanted you to be in charge of, but really you had no say in. It's a very mm-hmm. awkward position. But then you're in that position and then the report comes out that uh, you go, okay, well, what really ended her life was that she did not have a functioning pony tank and lift bag. So mechanically, what was wrong with the pony tank and lift bag? Nothing. There was mechanically zero wrong with the pony tank. The lift bag had a little bit of a leak, but not enough to do it. And the last person who touched both was Pepine. These are just facts. So then Carlos Sarah is like, he literally writes in his book, I had to grapple with that, that I now know that it, it wasn't uh, an oopsie accident, I had to figure out why that happened. And there's really only two explanations, on purpose or it was an accident. Yep. Only a few months later, Pepin obtained a book deal to tell his story. On the one-year anniversary of his wife's death, Pepin set out to do a dive in Audrey's honor. He sunk to a level of 170 meters, one meter shy of Audrey's dive. In her memory, he completed the dive, though it was not certified by Ada. I found this to be an interesting way to show your. I mean, everybody it's agrees. More, in it's a different more way. about look at me, look at me. I'm a martyr. Look I at all these. Yeah, or, and also like I'm the victim. I'm the one still suffering. I'm look at me. I'm going one meter shy of hers just to honor her. It's all just. It's pomp and circumstance. It's all, it's just a show. It was pretty yikes, right? If you said like on the one year anniversary of her death, we're going to create this scholarship fund so that young women in France who suffer scoliosis could or who Mm -hmm. suffer mental health. No, but it's, I would like to show you what I can do today. So please pay attention to me doing this thing. Yeah. I mean, and really, how does that honor her? Yeah. Just, again, it's uh, I think it's kind of gross because she died trying to do that. So now you're just showing, well, I did it and didn't die. True. That's a good point. In 2004, Pepin worked with ghostwriter Linda Robertson to assist with his memoir. Called The Dive, it details Pepin and Audrey's relationship as well as her tragic death. Robertson told ESPN filmmakers how difficult it was to work with Pepin, given his penchant for making himself into a legend, saying... It's really hard to write a book about somebody if you don't believe half of what he says. She said he included very far-fetched tales, including once claiming to have found a Soviet submarine on a free dive that Pepin insisted be included in the book, despite her questioning. 
I've read this book. It is well written. Um, she's a great writer. And it's interesting to note there's some phrasing, and I'm trying to recall where it's almost like she has hedging, like there is hedging language. So it'll be a paragraph of something that happened and it's like, but you know, a lot of things are based on memory and time. So who knows? Right. She's trying to cover her own ass. So she doesn't look like an idiot. Or yeah, I don't know. I don't (laughs) know how deep submarines go. I mean, I guess on the way down, but come on. None of us think you saw a Soviet submarine just while you were swimming around down there. Yeah, it's an interesting claim. Uh, but it, And it's just one of those where it's unprovable, ridiculous, and just for no reason. Like, other than just sound cool. Yeah. And to like oh, make yeah. yourself sound legendary. I believe he was very concerned about image and wanted to be the best, the coolest, you know. And this was just another thing that he thought made him look like a badass. Mm-hmm. Brag about Over the next several years, Pepin set, quote, records with his own organization, but holds no records with ADA, widely considered the quintessential worldwide rulemaking and record-keeping body for freediving. After his diving career waned, Pepin began advertising online and on social media that he would be making a movie of Audrey's life with director James Cameron. Pepin and the Titanic director were photographed together, and various announcements were made about the project, from 2003 through 2017, though it has still not been produced. And it started with the book. So James Cameron optioned the book. And then there are, yeah, there's photographs and videos of them together. But the, in Carlos Serra's book, he, which is Pepin's business partner, Carlos said, we always wanted to make a movie. And we talked about writing a screenplay. And when Audrey died, Pepin said, I think I can get a book deal. And Carlos said, you need to wait because months after your wife's dead and you're out trying to get a book deal, it does not look good. Mm-mm. And so it was like right out of year, his, a little bit after a year, I guess, is when he announced it. And uh, if my, I'm getting my dates right. But then Carlos Sierra said, we met with James Cameron, who said, I'm interested in this story. We'll see what we can do about it. And left. And then Pepin was like, post on the internet immediately that we're making a movie with James Cameron. And he said all in Carlos Serra's book, quotes him as saying, all those other free divers, Tanya Streeter, and there was another guy whose name I can't remember, Mayall. He said, they'll all be so jealous. They're going to be so jealous. But it's like, well, now you might be, you know, cutting yourself off at the past because you've pre, it's like too early to announce this. You might scare James Cameron off. We still haven't seen a movie. It's 2023. It's also super gross and disrespectful that you're this excited about a movie being made about your wife's death. Yes. Yeah. Full stop. That's, yeah, nothing to add. In 2011, Pepin was featured in the IMAX film Ocean Men. That same year, he met model Huskalina Mello, now known in the diving world as Nina Ferreris. He wrote in a 2012 social media post that he was developing a TV series, describing it as Nina Mello will star in a new adventure reality series produced by Francisco Pepin Ferreras and go around the world spearfishing with another bikini girl. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I spent I watched every video on Pepin's YouTube channel. And just because you know how Windows Movie Maker works doesn't mean that you need to make your own movies. No. Some of it is clearly professionally edited by someone else. But like there's IMAX Film Oceanman. It says IMAX Film Oceanman director's cut. But I think it might just be he cut all the scenes of himself into like a thing. Ugh, like a but reel for himself. The videos on on his on social media, it's very I feel bad because it's cringy. They're very oh, yeah. cringy. Yeah, it's a lot um, of secondhand embarrassment. And also, too, 
just define someone as a bikini girl as if that's another they another (laughs) bikini girl she's one bikini girl you got another not that she's a accomplished diver or anything like that she's reduced down to a bikini girl yeah and it's and it's interesting too how yeah it's her last name is now his last name and it's that's what she's known as she's also way younger and uh again uh very attractive oh yeah no television series appears to have been released, but Pepin, Nina, and the team posted about her career as a diver and model, as well as advertising brands of nutritional supplements and diving equipment over the years. In 2016, Pepin posted a promo video promising a new world record in connection with the James Cameron film about his and Audrey's life. It does not appear that either the film or record materialized. And that's the other thing is that he's not even smart enough to go back and delete all these posts because there's just all these posts where he's like, 2016, coming. I'm going to crush this record. It's going to be amazing. My guy, it's 2023. You look ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And the the 2002, and instead of saying, we're in early preliminary talks, who who knows what may happen? It's James Cameron is currently making a film about this. And you're like, well, it's now, it's a really long time to make a film for 20, almost 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know James Cameron. But to me, something like this, uh, uh, accomplished, award-winning, very famous director might shy away from something where um, the story now is has changed a little bit. Whenever, yeah, if you had optioned his book and then comes with that, he gets say in the script. And by his book, I mean Pepin and Pepin gets say in the script or final cut. And if you're a filmmaker that's interested in exploring what happened you might not want to tell it from just his perspective. Mm -hmm. So it might make you walk away. I don't know. In 2017, Pepin posted a happy anniversary message, celebrating five years with his wife, Nina. Two years later, on July 20th, 2019, he posted that he had set the over 55 diving record in the Dominican Republic. In more recent years, Pepin seems focused on producing content around freediving, and posting trailers and clips from a planned series called Back to the Abyss. That project, like the previously announced James Cameron film, has either not been produced or widely released. He does put these trailers up, but when you look at the footage, and it's not to say that that doesn't mean it's not an existing project somewhere, the footage is interviews from other stuff. It's like an interview with Pepin on Bryant Gumbel, an interview with Audrey's parents on the news, an interview from uh, with Paul Kodak, who's a free diver that filmed everything um, the day that Audrey died, and it's his interviews from ESPN that Pepin has clipped together. So I think what happen- what will happen is if you have a person who is very hell-bent on controlling a narrative and being believed regardless of fact checking, they're not going to love the scrutiny of the internet because no. give TikTokers 30 seconds and they will be like, um, actually, mm-hmm. uh, like the young people on TikTok that analyze and deep dive into stuff, I believe more than FBI agents <laughs> in a lot of cases. <laughs> I was trying to figure out about Kyle Richards and Mauricio breaking up because mm-hmm. Kyle's allegedly dating this country music singer and just the tracking of movements, the tracking of tattoos and placement and all this. I'm like, so if you want to say, oh, I'm going to create this thing. People are like, where are the receipts? Mm -hmm. Where's the evidence? So he's like, I have a trailer for this. Well, where is it? Where is it? So I think it's not going to, that same shtick of promising, not delivering, promising, not delivering. It's not, it doesn't cut it in the new age because people are like, well, on this date at this time, I have a screenshot where you said this. It's also not new information. He's just using regurgitated information and putting it together and 
a different way. So nothing new is coming to light. It's he's just kind of trying to repackage it to make it seem shiny and new. And it's not. It's odd. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. The James Cameron film may have fallen through, but a movie was eventually made about the tumultuous love affair between the two world-class divers. Released on September 9th, 2022, the French language film titled No Limit in the United States follows the fictionalized version of Papine and Audrey. They are portrayed as an older French diving champ named Pascal Gautier and a young college student named Roxana Aubrey, who meet at a training session after Roxana sees a flyer similar to how Audrey and Pepin met in real life. Many of the real-life incidents between the couple are portrayed on screen pretty close to what actually happened in real life. However, the filmmakers took some liberty with the day of the main character's last dive. In the film, Gautier seems to deliberately sabotage Roxana's pony tank and lift bag while looking over his shoulder menacingly. The film also portrayed the relationship between the two leads as violent, abusive, and tumultuous. No Limit held the number one spot on Netflix's weekly list of top 10 non-English films worldwide for its first two weeks, with a combined total of 38.9 million watch hours during that initial period, according to court records. So have you watched the film? Have you? I didn't watch it. I was too sick. <laughs> oh, you're fine. So for those of you who watched the film, as we said in the last one, it's very horny. But I will say we decided to cover this because it was suggested. And we were on a flight and I thought, OK, well, I don't have time to do a ton of research. I'll throw this movie on. So th- my first experience with this entire case, aside from reading one or two articles, brief articles, was this film. And then we go and I read Pepin's book, Carlos Harris book. We're reading all this stuff about it. Watch the ESPN documentary. I will say it does track their lives. Yeah. Pretty, pretty close. Pretty, pretty, pretty close. There was an amount of things that I thought from a, as a lawyer, I was like, oh, I would have told them not to add that. Like you can yeah. just switch somebody's name. You could like Audrey and Aubrey. But even I the names like are similar. Pascal you know? is a, a player in the other game. Like yeah. you could just give them any names. You yeah. want to mean Jean-Pierre and Andrew. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could have picked anywhere. It could have been, yeah, they could have been British. I don't know, or Russian. Just somebody with a different name in a different country. But they chose a lot of the plot points of their life, including like reading Gary Smith's Sports Illustrated article, which is up until um, the ESPN documentary was kind of like the be all of what happened in their relationship. It is a beat, like a scene for scene remake of some portions of the Gary Smith Sports Illustrated article. Yeah, I I get the lawsuit. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting <laughs> that they would choose to do that, that Netflix would choose. Right. Or at least if Netflix, because I get it, like a movie is written, made, then distributed, then it's bought by Netflix. But I would say whoever does the Netflix international buying and due diligence did not due diligence on this underlying true story, especially given that her face is at the end that says yeah. in loving memory of Audrey Mest. By that's, the way, any rec- any semblance to real people is merely coincidental. That's the real kicker. Yeah. Audience reactions were mixed, with the film receiving just 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pepin was not a fan of the new movie himself, especially given that it included a character very similar to him, portrayed as a villain and a killer. On October 28, 2022, Pepin posted a photo with Audrey's parents on his Instagram. 
The caption was in Spanish and translated to read. Last week, I was in Mexico with my adoptive parents, Audrey's parents, first to give them all my affection, then to explain how we are proceeding in the lawsuit against all those involved in the horrible movie. I'll keep you guys in the loop. Greetings to all. Adoptive parents? Yeah. No. Carlos, in his book, Carlos said, like, right after it happened, Pepin started calling Audrey's mother mama, mama, mama. I mean, if I didn't think that he was responsible for this, it would be um, endearing and perhaps a way to cope with your own grief. I find it manipulative. Yeah, given his role in all of it of being kind of the final say on what rope is used, what when we're when the boat's going to leave, all that stuff like you signed off on all of this. Her death was at the end of it. I don't care if people think you did it on purpose or not on purpose. It is interesting to ingratiate yourself so deeply mm-hmm. with those people. Audrey's mother meanwhile seemed to miss her daughter just as much 20 years later. On Christmas Eve 2022, the still grieving mother posted a letter to her daughter on Audrey's official website, expressing how much she was missed. I know you're still close to us, and I know you'll find a way to message us again this year. Your last words, I will manage to give you good news. I am here, my heart, listening to everything that can come from you. I love you so much. Your mom for life. Heartbreaking. It's, it's, I'm, it's interesting to me that they are Team Pepin. Yeah, that they're so close to him. And if you ask his former business partner, he, he would say he's that good, that he's that charming and effective in making you feel like you can trust him and making you feel loved. And if you don't see any other side of him, you say, he's great. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's your former business partner's perspective. Is he biased? Maybe. True. But... Other people also have said he's Paul Kodak, for instance, is not really best friends with him. But it said, you know, I get this feeling that it's all kind of a show of mm-hmm. the Pepin story starring Pepin. And if he's not the director, you know, he doesn't like that. I wonder how much Audrey told her parents about their marriage before her death, because, you know, the crew said she had confided in them that she wasn't happy. She was filing for divorce. Yeah. So. If she was to tell them that, and she was very close to her parents, you would think that they got the same message, but I guess well, they haven't come out and said, and, you know, Mm-mm. so we don't really know. No, and in fact, in one of the clips Pepin put on his social media is a clip from Audrey's mother saying, she came to me in a dream and told me, you know, don't worry, mom, it was all just an accident. Mm-hmm. On March 29, 2023, Pepin sued Netflix in federal court in California on claims of defamation per se and false light invasion of privacy. He requested a jury trial and claimed at least over $75,000 in damages, including actual, presumed, and punitive damages, as well as injunctive relief to stop distribution of the film. The complaint highlights just how closely the film followed both Pepin and Audrey's real lives, including their childhoods and backgrounds. Although the end screen states that the film is fictional and any resemblance to reality is coincidental, it also included an in-memory-of screen for Audrey at the end as well. That could have, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Like, if I was him, I would also sue. I don't think you can say 
everything that happened is a coincidence. And then also put up an in memory of, and it's a picture of her like in dive gear on a boat. That's nah, you can't do that. Like I told you, the first time I watched it, I didn't really know what had happened. And so then I watch it and it says, you know, any resemblance is fictional. And then it said in memory. And I thought, wow, they must have some pretty, you know, there must be footage of this guy mucking with the pony tank for them to put that in there. To be so bold to um, to put that out there. Yeah, I don't know what lawyer looked at this, but they need a little quick little talking to because you really can't put that. at. The, I mean, it's either you change enough facts that it is a fiction or you follow it completely and you leave like a black screen at that point and be like, we don't know what happened to her mm-hmm. tank. We just know. And honestly, you don't have to have this shot of and they included a frame from the film of the character Gautier over the pony tank looking over his shoulder like like making this face and I think they really they really overdid it in this film I mean yeah. it, just that, that just while it was true that the day of three different witnesses three different crew members said hey let me check the pony tank and Pepin said no get away that's mine thing that would have been fine if they would have just had three different people ask him but I think that one shot of it just over they overdid it and it l- does imply oh very much yeah. yeah and it's all speculation and then to in the same like 20 seconds but it's all coincidental also we're so sorry about audrey who basically this film was about like you can't have both of those things you kind of just shot yourself in the foot with that yeah they should have chose either this is totally coincidental or but yeah and leave off the in memoriam you got a sopranos ending it you got to just, gotta just shut leave it, it. Yeah, it cuts to black and you let everybody figure it out on their own. Decide for Make themselves. Make your own conclusions. In the complaint, Pepin's attorneys claim that several plot points in the film, taken together with the final shot of Gautier looming over the pony tank, serves to imply that Pepin killed his wife. The complaint states unequivocally, He did not murder Audrey. Pepin claims there is no evidence that he emptied her air tank, deliberately or otherwise. He does, however, make some shocking claims about his own involvement that day. The complaint reads, Members of the dive team prepared her dive equipment, but Ferreras did the final check of the equipment, including a check to make sure that there was compressed air in the tank. He determined that it did contain compressed air, but he did not use a pressure gauge to see how much air was in it. Not me on the airplane going, Did you just put that in a federal complaint to the federal court? So he admitted this. In the complaint. I'm yeah. holding it in my hand. Yeah. It's stamped from Pacer. And I guess you would just, I mean, one of those things might not equal the other. But why didn't you use a pressure gauge to see how much air was in it? Were you just eyeballing it? Did you just give a little shake and think, oh, well, I've done this enough times that this feels full? Either. And I will say my this, I don't know if you, you can't quite see it. It's pretty bright in here. But my marking up of this complaint is in all different colors. And I've got X's and this and that not to mention I straight up just marked off like comma splices, tense problems. The it wasn't the most amazingly written complaint. But I the only thing I can think of that if for some reason, they think that the Netflix will not settle and wants to fight this and says, okay, well, we're going to prove that you did. First of all, you just had a multi-billion dollar corporation. You've just given them a lot of incentive to spend a lot of money proving that you did do this because they don't want to be in the business of writing checks to people who are pissed off because an S, you know, made for TV movie of their life came out on Netflix, especially all this true crime shit. Netflix is not, I imagine, does not want to get in the business of settling these very quickly and easily. 
And also getting a reputation for false reporting. Right. And they're like, we checked this. But my thing is, in the complaint itself, are you hedging as the plaintiff's attorney? Listen, he didn't intentionally fuck her tank up. He was the one that touched her tank glass. But he didn't use a pressure gauge to see how much urine is in that regard. So then you go, well, that clearly can't rise to the level of intentional. He was merely negligent, which would also mean that that evil shot over their shoulder would mean Netflix still has to pay over Gautier's shoulder of like, ha, 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 ha. Mm -hmm. So just because he was negligent and running around and should have let somebody help him on his team doesn't mean he was a murderer. That would be my only guess as to why you would include that piece of information. But knowing, as we know, in the same filing that they write, The instruments say this. This is the IAFD report, which was his own organization and his own admissions. We again know what killed Audrey Mest was that the tank would not inflate. The pony tank malfunctioned at the bottom and the bag did not inflate. And what we also know that's a fact is Pepin Ferreris was the last person to touch both of them. And that he had his scuba suit laid out and ready, which was never something he did before and ready to go to dive down. He also had been practicing dives that week of yes. a certain type of dive where basically you go down fast and you come up fast and it trains your lungs to get used to that difference in pressure. Yes. And Carlos said, it just so happened that the dives he was doing were down to 90 meters. Yeah, they were calling them bounce dives that Pepin was jumping off, diving to like 40 or 90 meters and dive back up and dive off and dive up. And it was getting his lungs, you know, very gets him used to a really severe change in pressure. But Carlos said, what an odd coincidence that on that day when he wasn't supposed to dive in, he had a scuba suit ready and he dove to the exact distance that he had been practicing. To me, that is too coincidental for it to be a coincidence. Right. And that's what a lot of people said. Well, why were you why were you practicing? Because scuba doesn't help you to save somebody at the top. And it w- that type of scuba, he wouldn't have been able to get down to 170 meters. It was just that mid range mm-hmm. rescue. Sinisterhood will be right back. On May 10th, 2023, Pepin posted a news article on his Instagram about the Netflix film. The comments from users were not kind and included things like, How does it feel to get away with murder? Killer. Suing Netflix doesn't mean you're not guilty. Even completely unrelated posts, where he is promoting a product or an update on dive equipment, generate angry comments referencing his role in his wife's death. And, you know, the claims that he's making, defamation per se, they don't ever say for sure, this man murdered this woman in the Netflix. But what they did was imply it, and that is what the tort of false light invasion of privacy is, where, you know, they don't have to be, they don't have to prove that it was defamatory. They just have to prove that it was highly offensive to a reasonable person. And I think implying that you murdered your spouse fits that. So how, is that an easier conviction to get versus defamation? Is that why you would go that route? Yeah, they actually pled them in the alternative. So because defamation requires, there's like some key elements that are the same, like the first two elements are the same. So they do kind of overlap, but you, it just has to basically be false. And they're act, was said with actual malice to like a reckless disregard of the truth. For the false light tort, the third, it just has to be the fact that he was portrayed, which I think he was on screen in a way that would be highly offensive to a reasonable person. So in that sense... I think that's that is true. 
Yeah, I mean, it really was offensive to a reasonable person. Now, then again, do you come back as Netflix and say, well, we didn't say anything that wasn't true and allow us to prove the following ways? Or do you come back and say, well, this wasn't even about him. But how can you not when you got that in memory of at the end? I think if they'd let that off, they might have a leg to stand on. But I I think that he's they're going to settle for sure. I I imagine they would have to only because it was so sloppy with using so many exact facts. And I will say in the complaint, it sets it up. And I think it's like 24, 25 line by line of like, number one, Audrey was born and had this and this happen to her. In the movie, Roxana was born in this place and had this. In, I mean, and it is step by step by step down to little detail comments of that. Gautier was like, well, you know, my parents did such and such when I was this age. And that's exactly the same as Papine's life. It's mm-hmm. like you didn't have to do. You could have made up a fake character and it would yeah. have been just as compelling. But I think it was sloppy filmmaking. It's like either be completely fictional drawing from inspiration or stick to the facts and don't try to imply somebody did a crime because that's what defamation per se just means this is so defamatory you don't even have to prove damages being called a murderer and then now you can already prove that there are ongoing damages but like you don't even have to prove that on its face calling someone a murderer is defamatory when they haven't murdered someone could this is a reach could netflix possibly kind of be putting this out there like go ahead sue us because we will take you to court and then in discovery all of this is going to come out and now you're going to get charged with her murder yeah i mean all i like i said earlier i would not want to incentivize a multi-billion dollar company to try to prove that i did a crime that i'm trying to hide that's me personally and you're right if you do sue netflix and their defense is to prove a fact they might do the cost benefit and say we want to prove this fact and especially sick black mirror world that we live in they can make a netflix makes its own documentary about its own proving its defamation trial there you go the snake eats its own tail mm-hmm. in his book papine blames the empty tank on everyone writing the fact is the responsibility for filling the tank didn't fall on the shoulders of any single member of the team. We are a team, and that's how we always operated. One day, I made sure the tanks were filled. Another day, it was Tata. Another day, it was Wiki or Carlos or Matt. It was the way we had always done it, and it had never failed us until now. Which is such bullshit. Also, it wasn't the way you'd always done it because you changed six things for this dive that all attributed to the, her her dying. No, exactly. And it's like, to say we're a team and we're all responsible for the tank, when you have, in multiple instances, recorded statements from teammates who said, I tried to check the tank that day and he told me to fuck off. I yeah. mean, over and over, I wish there's terms of get away, that's mine, I'm going to do it, I did it already, shoot away. They've used all these different phrases to describe the same thing, which is three different people were kept from that tank. So him to type that in his book, again, it's just what Paul Kodak said is he's writing the story of his own life. He's just trying to make, yeah. make him sound like what well, was really all of us. And I don't think that any of them felt like a team. Not in fact, so much. quite the opposite, especially now when he is trying to, you know, throw Carlos under the bus of, well, it really was the event coordinator. Well, who appointed the event coordinator? I mean, I think if you look at this, like any type of job, even if, you know, if an employee does something wrong, 
it actually falls on the manager's shoulders because they should be, you know, the oversight. And then really you can take it up. Well, who's in charge of the manager? Like it's a trickle down effect, but at the end of the day, the person at the top should be held accountable and also take responsibility for it. And the, and for his part, because it, IAFD was co you know, they, they worked together. Carlos Serra and Pepin Ferreras worked together and his whole book, Carlos Serra is like, here are like 30 things I would have done differently. I would have spoken up. I would have said like, I have so many regrets. And the thing is he's analyzing it from a, this is the fact, this is the fact, this is stuff we have to grapple with. And it makes his book much more credible in my opinion. Cause at first I heard, oh, Pepin's ex business partner wrote a book. I thought, well, he's probably trying to throw him under the bus. And I was shocked at how, aside from a couple of, he said that Pepin was a master of deep session instead of deception, but it was like deep, oh. like deep diving. I was like, come on, man, leave those out. It's embarrassing. <laughs> come on. I, I was, I was liking your book and we don't need all the puns, but he, aside from, you know, some asides like that, or even his asides with Pepin, he would say, oh, he looked like goofy, but also, you know, women loved him and I could kind of see it. He had this swag. So for being the trying to be cast as this by Pepin as this, you know, disgruntled ex-business partner, having read his book, I, I thought it was rational, well-written. There's a ton of receipts. And the thing that I told Paris yesterday, I go, the, probably the person you w- don't want to piss off is your business partner who has the keys to the fucking kingdom. Because mm-hmm. Carlos had every bit of the records. He had every copy of every photo and every video to where he was able to go, even Pepin and he split. He's like, I had the footage, I had the archive, and I could go frame by frame and really dig into this and write this book. I think that speaks to the level of arrogance of Pepin, though, to know that and still think, I'll win. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'll just tell everybody he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos Serra's book, The Last Attempt, puts forth a different theory. Having conducted the investigation in connection with Kim McCoy's technological data, he concluded, The chain of events that terminated Audrey's life was initiated by a near-empty tank. Equipment failure did not cause the tank to be near empty. The ultimate conclusion is that the tank wasn't filled. However, what's still inconclusive so far is why. One possible motive put forth by Carlos involves both jealousy and greed. Pepin was never going to break the record again. He had already been accused of cheating on his dives and was suffering too many blackouts. Carlos believes Pepin would have been happy to be the man who saved the greatest diver in the world, since he couldn't be the greatest diver himself. Wiki also claimed Audrey had announced her divorce to Wiki the day before. Carlos theorized that Pepin would rescue her to win her back. And that is the last chapter or two of Carlos Serra's book is he he sets forth these facts, these things that happened. And he said, this is the only thing that could make sense to me. It's compelling and it makes sense. And when you look at all the other things leading up that week, some people said that, you know, there was violent behavior. Oh, yeah, because he ripped Carlos's freaking regulator out of his mouth in the water. That's unhinged and very dangerous. And somebody that's in charge of a dive like that, nobody wants to work with someone like that. Your life is literally in their hands. Yes. And to think that, you know, it's Carlos said it was just cruelty, that it was just a lack of empathy. Even if you're mad at me, I'm that far down. I'm I don't I can't just grab the you know, I mean, thankfully he did. He grabbed the regulator back and was able to wrestle it away. But something like that is so 
why would you even do that just because you're mad at them? But he said, you know, it shows he's willing to do these things, even if it puts us in harm's way. And what really the day of is the like you said earlier, the practice dives to that exact depth of that 90 meters where he knew that he was not going to have safety divers at that exact depth. He was His alone. His suit was laid out oh. for him. He'd been practicing. He also, the morning of the final dive, he was alone on the catamaran for an entire hour and wouldn't let anybody else on board, including Audrey. Why? And what yeah. was he doing then? And and also the a really weird thing, which again, it comes from Carlos going, I, I see the footage. A camera had met, uh, had, it was kind of getting loose. So Wiki had improvised a fix on it where he tightened the shit out of it. So the he camera at it the bottom. So when the, she was at the bottom, it would capture it. Very bottom of the sled at the bottom of the line where it would be like on her face, essentially. And Wiki had adjusted it to where it was. He said, Carlos said, basically, it was not coming apart. It was already on and recording and was a fixed shut, not the normal way. And there is footage that Carlos Sarah has of Pepin fidgeting with it essentially looked like he's trying to undo the camera. And he later said, oh, well, I was just wanted to make sure it was fixed. But really, he's like yanking on it. And why? Why are you yanking on it so that there's not footage of her mm-hmm. very sad face at the bottom, which Carlos said he watched over and over that he said, I see her pull the pin on the pony tank. And he said she opens her eyes and he said, I could see a look of resignation in her face mm. of like, because you know what was going to happen. She just kind of knew. But yeah, that camera being and then also the cameras in the rescue zone where he specifically said, OK, well, I want that one camera at 30 and one at 60 when it did not need to be there. Yeah. But also they would capture him swimming down to rescue her. And what what you kind of don't think is that same camera is also going to s- capture you improperly dragging her up and mm-hmm. filling her lungs with air as you drag her upward uh, and just the comments afterwards, which Carlos said, I think it was about a year later. And he said, Pepin told him when I went down, I expected her to see see Audrey breathing off a regulator from Wiki in about 50 meters. And so Carlos was like, it was a really weird specific number of 50 meters. And also, and he, why would you have expected that? He said that in his own book. I mean, yeah. we put it in, in the last episode. It's a direct quote from Pepin. He kept going, she would breathe off of Pascal's regulator. I knew it. I knew it. I knew she would breathe off of Pascal's so he, regulator. I mean, the only way you would know it, know it. One, you can't. But if you've planned out this entire thing in your head and you think, okay, this is what's going to happen. You expect it. And it doesn't go that way. And she refuses the regulator for whatever reason. She thinks she can save the dive. Carlos thinks maybe she was happy to refuse a regulator and stay in the ocean. Mm. Or, and like, but Pepin kept saying this 50 meters and Carlos said, that's so weird. But then he said he did the math and that would have been the exact same time as it would have taken Pascal to bring her up to Wiki. And then had she been breathing on a regulator, but since she wasn't, it was this whole different, the timeline then gets off Mm -hmm. and you see him, you know, swim down there. The crew was also instructed that afterwards, nobody could, they couldn't speak to the press. Audrey wasn't supposed to speak to the press. This was set up before with the intent of... The dive was successful, but why? Why would Pepin have said nobody gets to speak to the press unless he knew that something was going to happen and he didn't want her maybe divulging like what really happened at the bottom of the ocean? And that seems to be Carlos's theory that had she had the rescue attempt gone well, 
And if she was pissed off about it, what she could go to the thing and say, my pony tank didn't inflate at the bottom and it was awful. But when you own the organization that's certifying the dive and the press goes, well, what happened? Why didn't it inflate? You could just say, oh, the cable malfunctioned. Oh, this malfunctioned, especially if the camera at the bottom wasn't filming, but it was filming. Yeah. It breaks my heart to think that perhaps when she pulled that pin, she knew what had happened. Because, you know, if she... If they were having this tumultuous, violent, abusive relationship, she was planning on filing for divorce. Maybe she had told them this, you know, the day before. She looks completely miserable. She's got a visible bruise on her face. If she pulls that pin and she's like, he did it. He actually did it. Yeah. And, and that's you, exactly what You're Carlos like, what thinks. am I going to go back up there and live with this man knowing that he is trying to kill me? Or... Am I not going to let him have the satisfaction and I'm going to go out on my own terms? And it's your ultimate exercise of autonomy in an extremely sad way. Mm -hmm. But that Carlos said when he watched the footage of her face, he said, that's what I took away from it of like resignation of like, he does control everything. He's controlled all this. And he pushed, pushed, pushed to be instead of Pascal being at the bottom for him to be at the bottom. But then when you think about it, he couldn't have swam up really quickly and been part of the whole rescue or anything, but he did write in a letter to Carlos, if I would have been the safety diver down at 171, I would have forced Audrey to breathe from the regulator. She would have survived. And two days later, I would have let her have the record. You can't say any of that definitively. You don't know that she would have survived. There's a good chance she would have drowned because of the blood shift that we already spoke of. And she, who would have known that better than her, who wrote her entire thesis on it, but also to say, I would have let her have the record. Like you're doing her a favor. You're just this benevolent person that's going to give it to her. It's so, oh, it just, it's, it's embarrassing because he doesn't realize how transparent it all is. He thinks he's being this mastermind and seems like this great guy when anyone can look at this and be like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think Carlos Sarah says. And it's he's his argument is that given the facts that we have, that that is the only way to put them all together, that it would make sense. It's obviously conjecture. It's a theory. And the facts that we have is that Pepin's the last one that touched the tank. It did not get filled for whatever reason. He also did all the other things we said, set out the scuba suit, instructed the divers to be that. It could just be and a dizzying set of circumstances of coincidence that have happened that this poor guy has been made to look like he masterminded a scheme in which he could have saved his wife with all the news cameras watching and then two days later let her have the record his mm-hmm. words or it it was uh just he didn't really do anything and it was all just uh he got too excited beforehand and negligently failed to fill the tank or use a pressure gauge Sinisterhood will be right back. Tanya Streeter still holds the women's record at 160 meters, the record she set back in 2002. The current world record for no limits freediving was set in 2007 by Austrian freediver Herbert Nietzsche. Now known as the deepest man on earth, Herbert dove down 214 meters or 702 feet. Pepin holds no official dive records with Ada. His lawsuit against Netflix is ongoing. The IAFD posthumously recognized a practice dive to 558 feet that was completed by Audrey on October 9th as a world record. 
So what do we think? Well, I'll go first. Your opinion based on the facts that we've been given. (laughs) My opinion based on the facts we've been given is I think that Pepin knew that there was not enough air in that bag to get her back up. I think that he thought he, I think he had thought it out in his head, like, this is going to happen. Then this person will do this. She'll take the air. I'm going to have my scuba suit preset. I'm going to dive down. I'll be the hero from saving her. And none of it went to plan. So she died. And Carlos there is always, his answer is always, I don't think he intended to kill her. I think he intended to be a hero and he could no longer be the dive hero. So he was going to switch and be the person that rescued the best diver. Also, if she had told him, I'm leaving you, this isn't working out. And then he saves her life. Perhaps to him, that would make it harder for her to leave him. And also you're uh, exercising the ultimate the control over someone's yeah. life of like, I chose to let you live. I saved you. I saved um, you. How you can hold that over somebody's head until the actual day they do die. If like, I saved your life. You know, I mean, every argument you get in, I hadn't thought until now, like perhaps she chose to let the ocean take her, but I would like to think that that is what she chose because I think that would be a more peaceful way to go than the alternative. Yeah. And that you've like, like I said, finally have taken control of yourself Mm -hmm. back one last time. And at least if he didn't know that there wasn't enough tank, he uh, air in the tank, he should have known based on his own admission in his own court statement that he was the last one to check it and he didn't use a pressure gauge. I uh, don't think, uh, think that was a case of an oopsie. Uh, you don't tell people get away this and that. But I also don't think it's provable. I don't think you could prove that the intention of somebody of why they failed to do something and just as easily, I don't think what happened, this is what happened, but just as easily say, you know, we should have been running a tighter ship and, I know, you know, things didn't go to plan. In which case, to me, the answer is the same. You're still responsible for what happened. Mm-hmm. That you've, based on your own admissions in your own court filings of, we should have used this. We changed this to something that was untested. We did this on the last day. We went out when the weather was sucky. We did all of these things. Even by your own admissions, you're still, it may not be an intentional murder. It may not be. But at the end of the day, you're the one hollering at people on the boat. You're the one on footage, there's filmed evidence of him saying, do this, don't do that, get away. You're still the one at the end of the day, it, it lies with you. And I, I would, I hope that's punishment enough for someone that they have to live with that to know no matter what documentary you make about yourself, no matter what lawsuit you file against Netflix, you know the truth. Mm-hmm. You know the truth. Whether you whoopsie daisied the pony tank or you purposefully did the pony tank it doesn't matter you know the truth you have to live with that every day and you can cover it with delusion and it doesn't matter because in your last moment you'll still know the truth Mm -hmm. of whose fault it was now whether he feels guilty about that or if he justifies it you know i mean i think someone that's willing to do something like that would learn to rationalize it to make themselves not be the villain because People like this are uh, martyrs. They're, you know, they yeah. don't want. And what's also stupid is he claims he's the best diver in the world and all of this. Well, then the best divers in the world don't let shit like this happen. 
Yeah, they do it right. They do it like yeah. Paul and Tanya Streeter of like, there's 16 divers. There's these people to check. They I also didn't realize- don't deflect from the organization that has the rules and regulations to start their own that has no oversight. Right. And be like, well, this is how we do it. We do it our way. And I also, to your point, like, well, I, another thing I found while we were researching, I found a an encyclopedia entry and I did not know that. And also it was mentioned in Carlos Serra's book that Pepin was accused of cheating throughout his career. The allegation being that there was a regulator about halfway down that he would take a breath from. Oh. I didn't find any because, of course, I didn't go digging more for newspaper articles at the time. But I found it interesting that n- not confirmatory doesn't say he was ever caught cheating, but it was some rumblings and allegations. And you can imagine, I would say that if you want to bring you want to take back your legacy and say, my legacy will be I'm the hero. Mm-hmm. That might be a thing. It's, But of course, everything, everything is complete speculation and opinion. But the fact still remains, he touched the tank last. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. And whatever happened with it, he touched the tank last. Yeah. And whatever happened, why? It was still him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I do I think if it went to trial, he would get convicted of... First degree murder? No. Mm-mm. I think that it would be hard to convict him at all. Um, yeah. Maybe Criminally involuntary negligent. because he was the last to to touch it. But it also happened in the middle of the ocean in the Dominican Republic where there's not laws like if it had happened in the U.S. So right. he's never been charged with anything. And I don't think he will be. No. And, you know, I mean, the thing ongoing with Netflix right now that would be maybe the only way that something like would go to court, I think. Yeah, that you would see uh, a large scale fact finding mission on this other than Mm -hmm. just, you know, articles or podcasts or whatever. But if you want to have, you know, down to pulling records and stuff, and I just, uh, it may be on Devil's Advocate, it may be that he didn't do anything wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. And he's totally happy for his life to be an open book. And he wants to have all this stuff discoverable by Netflix. If that's the case, great. If he if that's not the case, I would not sleep well being concerned at every record that and every human being that was there, every frame of footage will now be combed over by a big ass law firm. I'm sure that works on behalf of Netflix who wants to bill a shitload to Netflix and will have some little associates going frame by frame by frame of every single moment of that day. And you just better be real damn sure before you Mm -hmm. file that complaint. So it's already filed. So I guess he's sure. Well, we'll see. And we'll keep everyone updated on that as it progresses. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or gain access to over 500 hours of bonus content, like our recent mini-sode on the murder of Eric Richens, who was allegedly poisoned by his wife, who later went on to write a book on hell to help your kids cope with grief. We also have an upcoming true crime headlines on some recent developments in the Idaho murders. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout out. You can also head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out all kinds of Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, clothes for your kiddos, stickers, whatever you want. Go to SinisterHood.com and click on shop. You can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can also follow us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And you can request us uh, to do a custom video shout out for you on Cameo at Cameo.com slash Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at online? Well, before I tell you that, I just got to say, if y'all aren't watching our TikToks and YouTubes, <laughs> you're really missing out because Paris is out doing himself. And... <laughs> Especially the McGruff one. We've now hit over 1 million views on TikTok. Don't want to brag, shocking. but we're pretty <laughs> excited about this milestone. But for real, he's making some great stuff. And you can also watch all of the full interviews from our Freaky Friday guests on YouTube as well. And listen to the show. A lot of people like to listen to the show on YouTube, turns out. I didn't know that. I love that. I did not know that. And um, for those of you who haven't, go to TikTok and in, in Instagram because there's a forthcoming video with Corn Skull. Oh, God. I came in. I came out of the the room, the, in the bedroom. I was like reading, and I came out, and I was like, "What, it, babe? Where are you?" And there was a fog machine in the dining room, and then he's like in the garage with a full ass like 4K camera and the corn skull. And I'm like, "What are you guys doing out here?" He's like, "Can you help me with a shot?" So there's a corn skull forthcoming. I don't. I don't know what it is. He's I can't just like wait. filmmaking. So check us out online, you guys. Check it out. Yeah, social you media. Can also check out. Um, pictures of the corn skull if oh, you're yes. like what are you talking about on our instagram and then i ordered four of them and it they were really small they were like not the right size of corn skull so now i have to order more corn skulls <laughs> but these are travel size so many so these are travel size i think they can go on tour with us okay, they're like nice okay, and small great. yeah they're <laughs> like this i mean like i mean really like a really little, little salt and pepper shaker size they're like slightly bigger than a golf ball smaller about a little bit smaller than a baseball oh yeah those pictures were deceiving yeah, sent me those. Damn. Yeah, you got to go. You got to have a banana for scale. Don't be <laughs> posting shit for people to buy if you don't have a banana for scale. We all got to know how big things are. Do you know how often you're like, I would do something. You'll be like, Tommy would do that exactly. But just as much you do stuff. And I'm like, literally, when I showed Paris those goals, he goes, why didn't they have a banana for scale? <laughs> but Paris and I are the same. And you so and Tommy similar. are the same. We Anytime absolutely. I'm like, hey, Christy said this. And am I crazy? And he's like, no, she's right. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, all right. I guess I'm outnumbered. I'll call Tommy. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Tommy will be on your side for sure. <laughs> this is how we keep each other balanced. Exactly. You know? That's why we, you and I out. work so well together. Well, on social media, where can we see you, Christy I Wallace? am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on mm, Twitter at MCK versus the world. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Heather versus the world where you can see my tiny skulls. <laughs> You can see, uh, what am I? Well, I haven't posted anything in a while, but I'm about to post some, probably some just pictures of my kids, quite honestly. The They've been real cute lately, doing cute shit. On the water slide, Simon tried to climb to the top of a cat tree at my father-in-law's <laughs> the other day. It was very funny. Kept He's saying it was a cat. Honestly, it's on the cat tree. I mean, it looks like a jungle gym for a child. <laughs> That's what I said. I was like, I would climb on that. And there was a little <laughs> basket. I was like, I would take a nap in that basket yeah. if I would not break the arm oh, off. He wanted to get in it. And I was like, buddy, this <laughs> has a weight limit and you've passed it. We can't do it. <laughs> You're not a kitty cat anymore. <laughs> well, as always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Sally Ahrens. Ashley Colio. Stacy Mack. Haley. Dixie A. Burton. Aaron Nguyen. 
Genevieve Aldi, Heather Hemmer, Sarah Music, Emmy Griffin, Chelsea, Lauren Berkowitz, Jessica Sloan, Lean Whiplinger, Leslie Wuxtich, Samantha J, Jasmine Wilkins, Elizabeth Boyer, Rhiannon Thackeray, Jennifer Lapierre, Court Berger, Victoria Gonzalez, Samantha Noft, Debbie Pius, Tabitha Keck, Tabitha Sims, and Brian Bangs. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We literally could not do this without you. And we love and appreciate you all so much. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. Sinister. Who-